Welcome to the Vision Sermon Podcast. Our goal is to teach every verse and reach every nation. For more information, visit visionbaptistcob.com. Galatians chapter 4. What we've been seeing is that we are free from the law. Y'all have hopefully by now gotten that idea. We are free from the law. We're no longer under bondage. Uh, remember some of the things we saw about how that we're no longer under the schoolmaster? The schoolmaster was the one who regulated life of the child and they controlled every aspect of their lives. He says, but now through Christ, we've been brought out from under that schoolmaster and we are free. Uh, we are f- full, grown, mature. We are the children of God. And we're no longer under rule, under the subjection of some other force. We are the children of God. So, here's something that we're going to see again this morning. And this is like the final argument. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get a little argumentative just because I want to be right. And so I'll use any argument I can. And Paul, he's already used logic. He said, hey, why are you going back to the law? That doesn't make any sense. He's used uh, uh, like emotion where he said, hey, listen, I love you and I want you to follow Jesus. That's what we saw last week. And then this last one, he uses the Bible and he goes back to God's word. and He says, listen, just like this happened in the Old Testament, right now you are free from the law. Don't go back into bondage. And so he's using every argument to help them understand this, that they are free. They are free in Christ. And you know, sadly, there's a, there's a common sentiment about Christianity today uh, that Christian, Christianity is like this stifling, controlling thing. It's like Christianity is, I mean, church and all those things just controlling and it restricts life and it's boring and it's stale. And sadly, that can often be accurate about how we live out our lives as Christians because we know that, you know, through Christ, we have joy, do we not? At least we should, but most of the time we're not smiling, we're not happy, we're not enjoying the life that God's given us. I like that, Ty, come on now, that's going to scare people away. Don't worry, if you didn't see him, he was making a goofy face. Uh, well, uh, that is not, our Christian life ought not to be something that's boring. We ought to be filled with joy, we ought to be the most joyful people on earth. Uh, we, we live, but most of the time we live like everything is just terrible. The world's coming to an end. Everything's falling apart. There's nothing good going on anymore. Uh, Oftentimes, Christians, we're known more for what we're against than what we're actually for. It's like Christians are just against everything. What are they for? What are we here for? What do we love? What do we do? Uh, It's it's like we, we live like slaves, just mindlessly going through life, you know, trying to do good, to be good, to do whatever we're doing, but we don't really understand what it means to be a Christian. Or maybe we understand it in our minds, but we don't allow it to affect our lives. Because through Christ, being a Christian, it's something freeing. We are free from sin, thank God, and we are free to serve God. It's not like, you, I, I hope no one forced you to come to church this morning. If they did, then that's not a good thing. You should want to be around the people of God. We should want to praise Him. We should want to worship Him. I mean, that's what we're doing. I mean, I, one of the things, honestly, the re, one of the reasons I'm a pastor is because I just love doing this. Like, I love sharing God's Word. I love doing this. And it's like, why wouldn't we want to do it? We are free from sin. Now we're free to serve God. But most of the time, we look like we're sucking on lemons. I mean, we're against people going to hell. Yeah, we're against something. But we're for Jesus, and we're for people knowing Him. That's what we're doing. So uh, Jesus, He's made it possible for our lives to be characterized by joy, by liberty, by freedom. And it's, Christianity ought not be something that people look at and say, oh, yeah, I really don't want that. Because if it is all those things that we talked about, if it is stifling, if it is controlling, if it is boring, if it is all these things, and honestly, I don't want to be a part. But I honestly believe that Bible Christianity, as we've been seeing, is the most liberating thing in the world. 
Because you know the funny thing, even with in the Old Testament, or excuse me, in the New Testament, when the church was just forming and Jesus had left, you know what happened? He, Jesus, his people, they did things in a revolutionary way. When somebody was a slave, they actually treated him like a person. They did that because he said, hey, now in Christ, you're no more bond or free, you're one in Christ. So they treated slaves like not property, but actual people. They treated women like people. Like people that were to be cared about and people to be loved. I mean, if you read what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 about how a husband ought to love his wife, he says, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's self-sacrificing, sweet, tender, gentle love. Women were treated almost like property, just similar to slaves. But the gospel in Jesus, he changed all that. But then somewhere today, we act like, oh, this Christianity stuff, boring, dry, stale, and no one wants it. But thankfully, we are... The people who are free. We are the free. We don't need to go back to that, to the bondage. We don't need to go back to the rules. Why do we want to do that? We've been given liberty through Christ. We get to enjoy that and we get to live that out. And so this morning, I hope that's what you'll see. Because you know what? Living for Christ should not be something that is, is, is sad and is terrible and is difficult. Yeah, being a disciple means we give up some things. But we give up some lesser things for the very best thing. And so we ought to recognize that. So let's look at what it says. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. I'm going to lose this jacket because it's warm in here. Look at what it says. Galatians 4, 21. The Bible says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? Y'all are underlining that whole first, uh, whole first verse. Because he's saying, guys, you want to be under the law, but don't you know the law? He's saying, like, it kind of makes sense if you wanted to follow this law thing, that you'd understand it. But they didn't understand it. Verse 22. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. Now, you might be wondering, what in the world is he talking about? He's talking about two mountains, a bondwoman, a free woman. We're going to get to that in a second, because that's actually the story of Abraham back in the Old Testament. And we're going to get to that in just a second, of, of two women, two brothers, uh, two mountains, all, and it's going to all come together at the end. Look what it says in verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Verse 28, now we, brethren, this is where he takes it from the story that we're going to get into in a second, and he brings it to us. He says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him which that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, and here's his whole conclusion, Third argument, conclusion. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You should underline that. We're not slaves. We're not kept under the law. We're not slaves to the law. We are free. And then look at chapter 5, verse 1, because this kind of gives us the, the application. He tells us who we are. We are free. Now, what does that mean for us? What do we do? Two commands. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You ought to underline that. See where it says, stand fast? That's the verb. He says, he's, he's telling us to do something. He says, you stand firm in the liberty that Christ has given you. The second part, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he says, Christ has made you free. Stand firm in your freedom. 
Don't get tangled up with the yoke of bondage, of going back to the law. He says, because, hey, we are free. So we live free, and we don't get tangled up with the old stuff. Does that make sense? That's the whole idea of what he's doing. So let's go through this. We're going to see the story, the allegory, and the application for us today. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth that we are free to live for you. We have been freed from sin, and now we are free to honor you with our lives. God, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, you would teach us, help us to understand who we are in Christ, of what you've done for us. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's you know, living like the, this life uh, as a Christian is terrible, God, I pray that you would convict them this morning and, and encourage them, challenge them to stand in the freedom that you have given us. God, I pray if there's someone here who's still a, a slave to sin, uh, that, they're, they're, that sin is what, all, is what their life is all characterized by. God, I pray that you would work in their hearts, help them to understand that you are the one who died for us to free us from sin so that we have a new life through you. God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts today for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first thing you can write down is the story. I want you to see the story of what's happening here because this points back to the Old Testament. Uh, and this is a good little lesson for you before we get into this. A good lesson is if you're going to understand the New Testament, you really got to know the Old Testament. Because he's pointing back and saying, hey, here, don't you know what happened back there? Don't you know what happened back then? And even in the New Testament, sometimes Paul or, or other writers will talk about the Scripture. And you know what that Scripture was? It was the Old Testament. Because this stuff was just being written. So he says, I want you to know this stuff that happened back there. And that's why it's important for us as Christians to know the whole Bible. Otherwise, we're not really going to totally understand it. Let's look at what it says in verse 21 through 23. This is the story of what happens. You have two women. Look at what it says. Two women. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, that one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. So there were two. There was the bondmaid and there was the free woman. Okay? These two, one was named Hagar. Okay? Maybe you are familiar with the story. But there was a lady named Hagar. She was an Egyptian and she was a slave. She worked in Abraham's household. Abraham was the man that God had come to back in the Old Testament and said, Abraham, I'm going to do something great in your life. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And, and they, she, they had this slave, her name was Hagar, and it was not Abraham's wife. But we're going to see what happens. And then there was the free woman, which was named Sarah. And that was Abraham's legitimate, permanent wife. That was his wife. Abraham was her husband. And what happens, these two women... Both had kids from Abraham. And we're going to see that in a second. And that's the two sons. So let's turn back with me. And you're going to want to hold, your, hold a place back in Genesis, chapter number 16, first book of the Bible, Genesis 16. And you're going to hold your place in the book of Galatians because these two, we're going to kind of go through the stories in parallel and see what it says here. So Genesis chapter 16 and verses 1 through 4. Look at what it says here. Now, Sarai, Abraham's, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. That's the bondwoman we talked about. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Abraham's wife said to him, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. So you see what he's saying? saying Sarai says, I can't have kids. Uh, they were getting old, they are getting up in years, and they couldn't have kids. So she says, well, if we're going to have an heir, if we're going to have somebody who's going to take over our estate, somebody who's going to carry on our name, we're going to have to find another way to get a kid. Now, the problem was God had already told Abraham that they were going to have children. But Sarah says, well, this isn't working. God's not coming through. So why don't you take my servant girl and why don't you have a child with her? 
which in that day, under the law of that land, it was totally legitimate that that son could be the heir of Abram's estate. But look what happens. Abram, he listens, and look what it says in verse 4. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So, she goes into this woman, and I think, uh, personal opinion, I think uh, Sarai was hoping that she wouldn't get pregnant, because she didn't like it in the very end, because she gets, uh, it says that Hagar was despised in her eyes, and so she was not very happy about this, but that's where Ishmael came from. Ishmael was the son of the bondwoman. And so I want you to take a few, uh, few things down about this. He, Ishmael, he was the son of the bondwoman, and he was not the heir to Abraham. Because God's going to come and say, listen, listen, Abraham, he's, he's not going to be your heir. You guys are going to have a child. Let's look, hold your place there in Genesis. Let's go back to verse chapter 12 in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see this kind of story from the beginning so you get it all in the perspective of what's happening here. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And you're going to see what God told Abraham in the very beginning. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy children, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. So notice what it's saying here. He says, Abram, leave your homeland, okay? Because he was from a place called Ur of the Chaldees. He says, get out of your country, leave your family, go to this place that I'm going to show you so that I can make of you a great nation. Now, what does a great nation mean? A, a nation's a lot of people that are all one nation. They have one name. We live in the nation of the United States. There's many other nations around the world, and it's a certain people. And he says, all right, Abraham, from you and your family, you're going to be a great nation which means you got to have a lot of kids or something. I mean, something's got to happen where you get more than like five or more than a handful of people. And so he says, all right, I'm going to go. Abram listens. And then look what happens in chapter 13, verses 14 through 16. We're kind of skipping through this to get the highlights of what happens. Genesis 13, 14 through 16. It says, And the Lord said to Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Okay, now the word seed there means his descendants, the one that was going to come from his, his children. But at this time, he didn't have any children. A little bit of a problem here. Look at the next verse. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. He says, okay, not just are you going to have a child that I'm going to give this land to, but your seed, your descendants, they're going to be like the dust of the earth. How much dust is around us? Lots. I mean, you think about it. You walk outside with bare feet, you come back in, they're dirty. You sweep your house because you want to get all the dust and the dirt out. It's just everywhere. He says, I'm going to make your children like the dust of the earth. Now, if you'd be like me, I would say, God, I don't think you understand what you're saying there. You're exaggerating. That's not really not going to happen, but God was not exaggerating. He was making a promise to Abraham. Look over at Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, because this is going to be one of, one of the first times where Abraham starts to doubt God. Because Abraham, he had been believing God and trusting God, but here he's going to say, God, I think we better do something because I'm getting old and I don't have any kids, so we better figure out a plan. Verse number 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. 
And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. Now, obviously, see, this comes before the whole ordeal with Hagar and Sarah and Abraham that we just read. Because he ends up going and have a baby with Hagar. But before that, God comes to him and says, Abram, I'm your shield, I'm your ward, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to protect you. And then look at Abram's response. He doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say, okay, that's great, Lord. Look what he says. What are you going to do? What are you going to give me? I don't have a child. And so he says, well, this guy named Eliezer, he's the steward of my house. Now, this is something we don't have nowadays, but it'd be kind of like his, his, uh, his assistant, if you will, or the guy who managed his estate. And so Eliezer, he was the one that made sure all the servants were doing their thing, made sure all the flocks were in their place. He was making sure everything was doing what was supposed to be happening. And at that time, again, in their law, it would have been totally legitimate for this man, Eliezer, to be the heir of Abraham, if Abraham chose to adopt him. But look at what God says in verse number 4. He says, uh, excuse me, verse 3. Uh, and Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born mine house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that cometh forth out of thine own bowels shall be thy heir. So he says, Hey, this servant, he was born in my house. I brought him up. He's basically like my son. Can't he be the seed? And what does God say? Nope. Sorry, man. Can't. You're going to have a kid. You and Sarah are going to have a kid. Look at what it says in verse number 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He says, Look up at the stars, Abram. Look how many stars there are. Can you count them all? And obviously, you can't count all the stars. You couldn't count them all. And God says to him, Abram, your seed's going to be like the stars of heaven. And look at this very next verse. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed God and said, God, I trust you. I don't know how it's going to happen. My, uh, my steward, he can't be my kid. I don't have any kids. We're getting old. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I trust you, God. But somewhere along the way, he started doubting again, because when you get to chapter 16, where we started out, what happens? He says, well, God. Sarah says, well, God, this ain't working. So we need to come up with our own plan. And so what happened was, this child, this Ishmael, he was the son of a bondwoman. He was son of a slave. And you know what happens is, God says, we're going to see it here in verse number seven, uh, verse number, verse number seven, chapter 17, that God says, hey, he's not going to be your heir. Let's turn over to 17, verses 15 through 22. Uh, because what happens here, God comes to him and says, listen, hey, I'm going to give you a child. Uh, chapter 17, verses 15 through 22, read along with me. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and, and give thee a son of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah, which is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Oh, and God said, look at, what's, look at notice what happens here. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So think about it. How was Ishmael born? They decided we better fix God's problem. It was their own plan. But the son Isaac that was going to be born, he was going to be the son of promise. He was the one that God was going to establish the covenant with. And so he says, this one, Isaac, he's going to be the free one. 
but this other one, Ishmael, he's the son of the bondwoman. Let's look what happens in chapter 18. Kind of giving you the whole story of what's happening here. Look at verse 10 down to 15. It says, And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it from the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age. They had some wrinkles, uh, that maybe they were losing some hair. They were old. And look at what it says. Uh, and it says, And it ceased to be with Sarah after the man of women. She couldn't even have kids anymore. In verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord being old also? She says, God, you're crazy. I can't, I can't have a kid anymore. Um, my, my Lord, he's, my, my, my husband, he's old. We were not going to have a kid. Look what it says in verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child when I'm, when I, when I am old, which am old? Verse 14. Good question here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God comes and says, uh, Why'd you laugh? Why'd, why'd your wife laugh? Is anything too hard for me? Answer is obviously no. But at that time, they were kind of doubting. They had taken marriage into their own hands. It was their own works. It was their own doing. He says, but I'm going to give you a child by promise. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 14, last part. At, that, at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. She's like, no, I didn't laugh. I wasn't laughing at what God said. And he says, no, you did laugh. You did laugh. But the funny thing is, even though she did laugh, God's going to come and work in their lives in an incredible way. And soon, in this very next few chapters, they're going to have a child. Look at what it says in chapter 21. And we're going to be getting out of Genesis in just a second. Chapter 21, verse number 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. So you see what happens? A couple of times he says, just like God said, it happened. Just like God spoke, it happened. This promise that God made, he fulfilled it. And Abraham says, hey, we got a son. His name's Isaac. Verse number four. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as the Lord, as God had commanded him. Verse five. And when Abraham was a hundred years old, when his son Isaac was born unto him. So he's a hundred I mean, it's all, there's, and, and if you kind of calculate the years and find out the time, they say it's about 25 years between the promise was originally given to Abraham and to when it was fulfilled. And during that time, he had some doubts and he had some problems, but God came through in the end. This was the son of promise. And let's look at what it says down to verse number 8. It says, verse 6, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham, that Sarah should have given children suck, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Sarah says, man, God made me laugh. No one would ever believe this, that this old lady would have a kid. But it happens, just like God said. He gave us a child by promise. So you see what's going on. You see the story. You have two women. You have Hagar, the, the bondwoman, the servant, who has a child. His name's Ishmael. He's the servant. He's, he's, one, he's the child that was born to the bondwoman. And then you have Sarah, which was Abraham's wife. She was the free woman. And you have Isaac, which was the son of promise, which was given to her and to Abraham. And the, basically, the whole idea of this is he's talking about two ways. Because in Galatians, he's not talking about having kids, but what he's talking about is being under the law or being free from the law. And so the basic idea is that there is one way, 
which he basically compares to the way of bondage, where we are under the control of the law and we are trying to make it in our own works and trying to do our own thing to earn God's favor. Because this is not, not what was going on there. They knew they were going to have an heir. That was going to happen. Because God said, you're going to be a great nation. But with Hagar and with Ishmael, they kind of figure out their own plan. And they scheme and say, hey, God's not coming through, so we're going to do this our own way. That's just like what happens when we're under the law. We're trying to earn God's favor, but we never can measure up. Because it's not God's way. And the other one is the way of promise. Where Isaac, they waited a long time until they were 100, until Abram was 100 years old to have a kid, but that was the son of promise. That was the one that was freeborn. That was the one that God had approved of. One typifies us working in our own power to earn God's favor, and the other one comes, is, is typified of following Christ and trusting Christ's promise to save us. So that's the story. That's what's happening. Let's turn back to Galatians, because now what does this story mean? We're going to see a little bit more here because he says, hey, this is an allegory, which means it's, it, this is the story, but it stands for something. It has a purpose behind it. Look at what it says here in verse number 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So you might think, okay, whoa. We're talking about two women, two sons, two mountains. Like, what in the world is going on? Two mountains that it talks about here. One is Sinai, Mount Sinai. And you might remember that this was the place where the law was given. When the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they traveled across the Red Sea, went through the Red Sea, they come to Mount Sinai, and this is where God comes down and gives them the law to Moses. He gives the law to Moses to give to the people. And that was the place where the law was given. Okay? Because we remember what we're talking about. We're talking about law, and we're talking about faith. That's where the law was given. He says, Agar, the, the bondwoman, that was like the mountain where the law was given. Because what does the law do? The law brings us into bondage because you know what the law says? The law says, if you sin, you die. The law says, if you don't measure up, you are condemned, and you're going to face the consequences. The law says, you lie, you're dead. You steal, we're going to, we're going to take from you, and you're going to suffer the consequences. You kill, you're going to die. The law is pretty harsh. The law is bondage. And he says, that's what Sinai was. That's where God gave the law. And it was a covenant where God said, hey, if you do this, you can be my people. But you know what happens? They never measured up. They never fully made it. They could never keep everything, and so they messed up big time. The other one was Jerusalem. Do you see that where it says, verse 26, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. He says, so Jerusalem, that's the place where God, He finally fulfilled the promise of sending Jesus. Because Jesus was, He was crucified right outside Jerusalem. It's Mount Calvary. It's the place where Christ died and shed His blood for us. And, and, and in that place, on that mountain, you know what happens? It's not where God comes and says, hey, if you do this, and if you measure up, then I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Because that's what happened back in Mount Sinai. But Calvary, Jerusalem, is the place where God said, you never could measure up. And that's why I sent my son to die for you. And that's where my son shed his blood so that you could be forgiven because you couldn't measure up, because you couldn't make it, because as hard as you try, and it is as, as good as you can be, You'll never measure up to God's perfect standard. And so that's why God sent His Son to die in our place, typifying this Son of promise. 
Because think about how was how did Isaac get brought into the world? How did Isaac get brought into the world? Ishmael, they went and made their plan and, and did their plan and it, it worked as a child. But it wasn't the child that God approved of. It wasn't the one that was going to be the heir. But the one that was born Isaac, the one that was born by promise, there is no way in this world that they ever should have had that child. He said, hey, Sarah was old. She couldn't have Jonah anymore. Abraham, he's old too. He has some problems. And so what happens, he says, God is the one who gave that one. And it's just like under the law, they were trying to earn their righteousness, but it didn't work. But under faith, under Christ, you know what happens? We come broken. We come without power. We come without strength, without any righteous. And he gives us righteousness through Christ, through believing in him. That's the two things that's going on here. And so he says, listen, you guys want to go back to the law and you want to say, hey, if I do this, I do this and I don't do that, then I'm righteous with God. Then I'm right with God. And he says, why do you want to do that? That's not very good. Because then that means it depends on you. And if it depends on you, then you're stuck. You're not going to make it. He says, why don't you want to be free? Why don't you have the freedom that comes through Christ? Because through Christ, we just put our faith in Jesus and then we're forgiven. We're saved. And so he says, live in freedom. Don't go back to bondage. But what happens today is you're in here and you're thinking, man, if I, if I don't do this, uh, you know, then God doesn't really love me that much. And I have, to, I have to work really hard and be good enough for God to love me. But the problem is you're never going to measure up. And what happens, some of you are in here and you've, you've believed in Jesus and you know that you're saved, but still you act like your relationship with God is still based on whether or not you're a good Christian. We act like that sometimes and we think, man, you know, I read my Bible today, so God really likes me today. Tomorrow you don't read your Bible and you don't pray and you, you cuss and you get mad at your kids and you get mad at your wife and then you kick the dog and you think, man, God, God must not really be very happy with me today. I'm in bad shape. But that's not true because you could never measure up in the beginning. You couldn't. So why do we live like that? Why do we live in bondage when we should be living free? Because even on our very worst day is when God loves us. Even on the day when we screw up and we do everything wrong, that's when God loves us. Because He loved you when you didn't love Him. And He loved you when you didn't care about Him. And He loved you when you turned your back on God. It's free. It's freeing. And we live in that freedom. Now that freedom doesn't mean we can say, oh, well, since I'm saved, I can just go do whatever I want, and I'll just go sin, and I'll just go you know, live out my life however I want. That doesn't really make sense. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live like, like somebody who's in bondage? What has happened is now that we're free, we get to say, man, now I can serve God. Now my life has real purpose. You know, if you're living just to make money or just to have success or just to raise a great family, you're really missing the ultimate purpose that God has for us. You're really selling yourself short because God's plan for us is He wants to use our lives to bring Him glory so that He, everyone could see how great He is. That's why we talk about discipleship, because discipleship's where we're helping someone else understand who God is and helping them follow Him. And think about it. I was thinking about this this week. You know, what does it mean to bring God glory? What, is, what does that mean? We throw that term around saying, you know, our lives are meant to bring glory to God, but what does that mean? Think about it. What does that mean? It means that our lives show how great He is, okay? And it shows who He is. Now, think about this. Who's, who's, a, who's, a, who's the greater artist? Uh, think about somebody who sings or, you know, does movies or whatever like that. Uh, who is the better one? Who's the one who has more glory, if you will? Think about it. It's the one that has more people following them, the one that has more fans. If you have some guy and you look at his Twitter account and he has a million people following him, think, wow, a lot of people know who he is. He's got a lot of glory, if you will, okay? He has a lot of recognition. A lot of people know how great he is. You look at some guy and he's starting up and he has, you know, 500 people that are following him. You think, well, 
He's starting up. He must not be that good yet. You fallen? There's more people following this guy, so he has more glory, if you will. There's not that many people following this guy, so there's not much glory there. When we give, when we bring glory to God, we one of the ways we do that, one of the primary ways we do that is by expanding the number of fans our God has, the number of followers our God has, the number of disciples our God has. Because think about it, our lives can bring glory to God, but it's twice as much if we get someone else and, and we see God get glory for, through their lives. Does that make sense? So what are we doing? Man, we have a purpose in life now, but you live like you don't have a purpose. You live like Sunday is just another day of the week, and you live like, you're, I mean, you don't live like God's even real. Think about that. We do that a lot of times. Do we not? But we are now free. We're free from sin. We're free to bring glory to God. We're free to make much of our God. So why wouldn't we do that? It's the allegory, the covenant, and then grace. Let's look at two passages here. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter number 19, and we're going to see what, what this covenant was, what happens at Mount Sinai. So I want you to see what, all that went down here. Exodus 19, the one mountain, Sinai. I want you to see what, what happens. This is where the law was given, and in verse 1, look at what the Bible says. It says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the desert in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. So you see what's happened. They left Egypt, they've come into this wilderness, the area around Sinai, and they're camping there. And then look what happens, verse three. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Ye have seen how I did uh, how I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. Now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Notice what he did. He put a condition on it. He says, if you do what I say, then you're going to be my people. Okay? Verse number 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And look what happens. And Moses came, and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord commanded him. Now, it's kind of an interesting, he says, laid before their faces all the words. It's basically like, think about someone coming in and they have you know, all their documents and all their contracts and they just kind of lay them out on the table. Moses comes down and he says, hey, here's what God says. And he lays it all out before him. He says, all right, what do you want to do? What do you guys want to say? Look what it says in verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now, let's stop there. Because what happens? They said, God said, hey, if you do this, if you keep my words, then you'll be my people. And they said, great, we'll keep your words. But you know what happens? They didn't. Because they can't. Because no one can. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect life. So the law showed them, hey, yeah, you said you were going to do this, but you never did. So you're in bondage. You're under this law. You're under this condemnation. But what happened is, that's law. But grace, the freedom that we have, says even when you fail, I love you. And even when you fail, I will forgive you. Uh, I forgave you even though you deserve to die. That's Mount Calvary. Let's turn back to Galatians. And let's look at chapter 3. Just one verse in chapter 3 for a second. Look at what it says down in verse number 13. He says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And we've already seen this verse. But think about how beautiful that is. He says, Christ, He redeemed us. He bought us. From the curse. He saved us from the curse. Because he says, 
hey, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was made a curse for us. He took our curse. Because the whole idea is, I deserve to die, you deserve to die, but Jesus took it. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus took what we deserved, and that's how we're free. He's redeemed us. He's made us free. The idea of redeem would be that we were held by something, or we were owned by someone, or we were controlled by something. And a ransom was paid, a price was paid, so that we could be free. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. So remember what he said? He said, Sinai, bondage. That's where the law came down. That's where they found out that they could not measure up to God's standard. Calvary. Christ came down. You know what he did? He paid for us. He paid everything for us so that we could be free. But what's happening is, people had come to Calvary and they knew, hey, man, Jesus saved me, but now I want to go back and be in bondage. And Paul's saying, why? Why? Because look what happens. The, the truth of what happens here is he says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Look at what it says there in Galatians 5, or excuse me, Galatians 4, in verse number 2, uh, excuse me, not 2-4. I'm mixing my verses up here. Look what it says in verse 25. There it is. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Verse number 27. For it is written, Rejoice thou that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she with hath, hath in husbands. And so you know what happens? Agar was the one that had this man with her. Sarah, she was desolate, but now she had more children. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac are the children of promise... But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Verse 30, Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. We're not going to turn back to Genesis, but if you want to jot it down in Genesis chapter 21, in verses 9 and 10 is where this is spoken. Because what happened was, Ishmael, he's grown up a little bit. The son of Agar, the son of the bondwoman, he comes in and he starts mocking Isaac. He starts making fun of Isaac. You know what Sarah does? She says, hey, Abraham, kick him out. He's not going to be heir with my son. And uh, Abraham didn't want to do that. He's like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. I love my son Ishmael. I know he's not going to be the heir. It's kind of harsh. But you know what happens? God approves and he says, yeah, don't be, don't be worried about sending him away. I'm going to take care of them. But you send him away because Isaac is the son of promise. And he says, just like back then, the one that was born of the bondwoman, the one that was born a slave, just like he persecuted or mocked, made fun of the one that was free, so it's the same thing that happens now. Because the ones who, who are under the law and the ones who are trying to make themselves look good by keeping the law, they look and say, hey, you guys that just believe in Jesus, you ain't that spiritual. You guys that just believe in Jesus, you don't have all these good works. You're not as good as I am. That's what he's saying. He says that perse- they, they persecute him. They turn against him. And he says, cast them out. We don't believe what they believe. We don't follow what they follow. We are free through Christ. So the application. So the last thing I want you to see. Look at, verses, look at verse 31. And then we're going to look at chapter 5, verse 1, back in Galatians. He says, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. He gets down to and the whole conclusion is, listen, you aren't the child under bondage. You're not the one that is controlled and held by the law. Christ has made you free. He has done that. So, you need to recognize that. You need to realize that you are free. And we stand in the freedom. Look what it says in 5.1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. It says, so, since you are free, stand in it. Stand firm in your freedom. Don't let anyone get you off track. Because what happens is we like to go back. People like to go back. People want to go back. That's what these people are doing. He says, why? Why would you go back? You aren't 
under bondage, you are free. You are free to serve the good master. You're free to serve the one who loved you and died for you. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 18, I'd like to get this up on the screen. I'm not going to turn here. But Romans 6, 18, I want you to see what it says because it talks about how we're free. We were held under the law. We were captives to sin, but now we are free. Look at what this says. Being then made free from sin, he became the servants of righteousness. So it says, you were made free from sin. Now you serve righteousness. You were the slave of sin. Now you're the slave of righteousness, the one who serves righteousness. Thank God for that. You might say, well, I don't much like serving righteousness. Why? Would you rather serve sin? Would you rather have sin ruin your life? Would you rather have the hurt and pain and guilt and shame that comes with sin? Do you really want that? Was it really better living under sin? No, it's not. It's better to serve righteousness, to serve righteousness, to serve God. You know, there's a funny story back in the book of Exodus. Um, There was a law that if a Jewish man was a servant, was a slave of another man, after a certain amount of time he could go free. But there was, there was a little, uh, I don't even know what we call it, like a caveat or a little uh, extra part of the law, a little condition. He says, now, if that man says, I really like my master, he's a good master, I like him, you know, I enjoy working for him, you know what he could do? He could commit to serve that, that master the rest of his life. And what they'd do is they'd take, his, take him over to the, the doorpost of the house and they'd put a hole in his ear with an awl, okay? So they put a hole in his ear, punctured his ear, to show that he was the servant of this man. Now think about it, that sounds kind of crazy. Why would you want to serve this master? Well, the reason was because they were a good master. And obviously there were people who actually did that, who said, man, I love, I love working for this guy. He takes care of me, he's a good master, I want to work for him. That's kind of what happens with us in Christ. We're made free, but you know what we say? We say, man, Jesus, he's so good to me. He loves me, he takes care of me. I'll serve him. I'll be his servant forever. But some of us don't think that way. We think, man, serving Jesus is kind of a, a rough thing. But it's really not. It really isn't. We get to make a difference with our lives. We see Him work in our lives. But what you do is you hold your life tightly. You say, my life is my own. No one tells me what to do. Even though you might be a Christian. You might say, man, I love Jesus. He saved me. But my life is my own. One of the things I want to challenge you to do this morning is let go of your life. Stop holding on to your life. Stop trying to control your life and go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. You're a good master. I want to serve you. I'm yours. Why wouldn't you want to? He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who takes care of us. It only really makes sense. Honestly, it only makes sense. It's reasonable. We don't turn back to bondage. We don't return to bondage. This is the second thing. First thing, we need to understand we stand in the freedom that Jesus has given us. And we don't return back to bondage. We don't go back to bondage. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He says, don't get tangled up. Don't get tangled up with that yoke of bondage. You know what a yoke is? That was the thing you put on the two animals that connect them to the plow or to the cart so that they pulled the cart together. It was making them work. He says, well, don't get entangled up with that yoke of bondage. Don't get linked back up to bondage again. Because you know what was happening? They were turned back to these commandments, into days, rituals, you know, eating certain foods and claiming that was what made them righteous. He says, don't go back to that bondage stuff. It's not going to help you. We are yoked up with Christ. We serve with Him. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? He said, hey, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. If you're, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, come to me because I'll give you rest. And notice what the rest was. This was funny. The rest is being in the yoke with Jesus. When we're serving Jesus, that's where true rest comes from. Let's look at that actually for a second because I don't think you believe me. Look at what it says. Matthew 11, verses number 28 to 30. 
Look at what the Bible says here. It's just incredible what he says about this. Matthew 11, chapter 28 through 30. Look what he says. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sounds great. Now, what does that rest mean? It says, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So, hey, if you want it easy, if you want, if you want the easy road, be in the yoke with Jesus. Follow Him, serve Him. That's how we, that's how we have rest. That's how we have, find rest for our souls. But what happens is, we as Christians say, no, I don't want to serve Jesus. No, I don't want to live for Him. No, I don't want to be yoked up with Jesus. I want to do my own thing. And so you don't find rest. You don't. You don't find real rest. You might have fun and you might do a hundred other things, but you're not going to find rest. Rest comes through being in the yoke with Christ. He says, don't go back to the yoke of bondage. Be in the yoke with Christ. So some lessons for us. Hey, if Jesus made you free, please, please, please don't go back to bondage. Don't go back to thinking you have to do something to earn God's favor. It's simply not true. You can't ever earn God's favor apart from Christ. Don't try to get anyone else to go back to bondage. Because some of you might say, well, you know, if you don't do this, and if you don't do this, and if you, don't, if you do that, then you can't really be right with God. But that's not how this works. In the Bible, it's by grace through faith. Grace is something we're freely given without anything, any, des- any, uh, any, de- any worth on our part. Any- we didn't deserve it. He gives us a gift. We trust Him. That's how we get saved. That's how we're right with God. And then just live in and enjoy the freedom in Christ. Maybe today you need to let go of your life. You're holding your life so tightly, and you're saying, you know, my life is mine when it's not yours. He's the one who bought you. And if you would just simply turn to Him and say, Christ, here's my life. I will serve you. I will live for you. You'll find real rest. You'll find real purpose and real meaning in life. So Christian, live in your freedom. Stand firm in it. Don't let anyone draw you away, get you off track. We are free from sin. You know, the fact that we are no longer bondage to sin ought to, I mean, that put a smile on our face. It ought to make us happy. But most of the time we just live like we're sad, like the world's falling apart, everything's terrible. But it's really not. I mean, I hope you know that. I hope that would change your mentality, that would change your outlook on life. So that we wouldn't just sit here and continue to look at each other like, oh, life's terrible. It's not. Come on, guys. It's not. He's freed us from sin. We get to serve Him now. That ought to be exciting. Why would someone want to come here to church if we're just a bunch of boring people like everyone else? I mean, at least they go out and party. That's a little more fun than sitting here and being boring. But we have a purpose in life. We have meaning. We have something that's greater than anything else in this world. Yet we live like we have nothing. That's wrong. That's just wrong. We can't live like that. Let's choose to follow Him. Let's choose to serve Him. That's the greatest thing in this world. I'm being honest with you. And if you're here this morning, if you haven't believed in Jesus, you're still tangled up in sin. You're in bondage to sin. If you've never truly come to the point where you realize you can't do anything to earn God's favor, and you can't get to heaven on your own, being a good person won't work, uh, getting baptized won't work, none of that for you. If you've never come to that point where you've recognized that this morning, you're, you're probably still lost. You need Jesus. You're going to die and go to hell. And I say that as, as compassionate as I can. Because I want to warn you, I want you to know that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. But the good news is that Jesus, He came and lived a life that you never could. He lived perfectly. And He died to pay for your sin. He took all of your sin on the cross. And now He offers you freedom from sin, 
He offers you freedom to have real purpose, real meaning, real peace, real joy in this life if you'll simply trust Him. He offers that all to you freely if you'll believe in Him. So will you? Will you this morning? Will you turn from yourself? Lay down your pride. Stop thinking that you're such a great person because none of us are. We all deserve to die. But Jesus, He came to give us life. He came to free us from our sin. Would you trust Him this morning? Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the truth that's in. God, I pray that this morning... That those here that are Christians, that we would leave with a changed perspective, a renewed outlook on this life. The fact that you've made us free, we don't have to go back to bondage. We have a real purpose and real meaning. God, I pray that that would give us real joy. God, work in our hearts. Help fix the attitudes and the thoughts and the perspectives that are wrong. God, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's never put their faith in you, that you'd work in their lives, that they would turn to you, that they would trust in you, God, I pray they would believe the gospel that you died for their sins, that they were buried and rose again, that they'd trust you and they'd call out to you and ask you to save them. God, I pray that you'd work in lives this morning. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vision Sermon Podcast. You can find more sermons and connect with us online at visionbaptistcob.com.